chains were fast and tied down at the jail that night still paul and silas would not be dismayed they said it's time to lift our voice and sing praises to the lord let's prove that we will trust him come what may god wants to hear you sing when the waves are rushing round you when the fiery darts surround you when despair is all you see god wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be that's when god wants to hear you sing he loves to hear our praise on our cheerful days when the pleasant times outweigh the bad by far but when suffering comes along and we still sing in songs that is when we bless the father's heart god wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be, that's when God wants to hear you sing. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. God wants to hear you sing. Well, good evening. We're glad you're here tonight. And, uh, I know we've got a lot to cover, ground to cover tonight, so let's get right on into it. Acts chapter 22, we've been addressing and dealing with this area of obedience over the last couple weeks and just talking about, uh, we'll, we'll kind of touch on it in just a moment, but we've been talking about, you know, why we should obey immediately. Well, tonight we're going to look at a different side of that. We're going to ask the question, why don't we obey immediately? And kind of kind of fill that out a little bit and see where that goes. All right, so turn to Acts chapter 22 as we kick things off again. Again, we have the example of the Apostle Paul here. Chapter 22, beginning verse 6. It 
There we read in the passage, it says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey, was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there arose from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? He said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. They that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? The Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Again, Paul's on the road to Damascus, and he asks an amazing question, really. To think about the purpose and the reason why he was making his way to Damascus, and then to hear the question that he asks is really kind of perplexing almost. Here he is going to literally take captive Christians who are living their life in faith, and he's going to throw them into jail or possibly even kill them if need be and drag them back to Jerusalem and all the things he planned to do. And here he is now confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asks an amazing question. To think he is concerned about what God wants now. What do you have for me to do? What am I supposed to do? What do you want from me? That's pretty good. What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? Paul, we know, went on to obey God without question. He believed the Lord in salvation and he believed the Lord in life. He honored God in his obedience. And even in Acts chapter 26, when he stands before King Agrippa, he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I did exactly what I was instructed to do. I did exactly what I was told to do. I obeyed the Lord immediately and without question. Tonight, as I've said over the last few weeks, I would like to believe that everyone, including myself, would immediately obey God when He speaks. I'd like to be able to say that there's never been a time in my life when I failed to immediately obey the Lord or that I failed to, I, I, I somehow may have questioned Him. I'd like to say that's never happened, but, well, that wouldn't be true. Sadly, we can be found slow to obey. So the last few weeks we considered this thought. We thought, we said, why should you and I obey immediately? And we said, well, reason one, because he's big enough to trust. Reason number two, time wasted is time lost. Number three, because the burden of sin is greater than the burden of sacrifice. Reason four, obedience places us under the umbrella of his protection. And finally we said, because we owe him big time. 
And it should be abundantly clear to you and I as believers that, oh, that disobeying the Lord tonight is the toughest road of life to travel. We need to obey immediately. Not only is it something that will please our Lord, but it is something that will be in our best interest. And so as I said tonight, I kind of want to change gears a little, and I want to look at this issue from another angle. Again, we said, okay, what, what are some of the reasons why we should obey God immediately? Well, tonight, as I said, I want to consider some reasons we fail to obey immediately. Why don't we do what God asks us to do immediately? And so let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll look at just a few of those. We're not going to get to all of them tonight. So let's see what God will let us share in tonight. Father, we come to you. I ask, Lord, you'd just give to us from your word exactly what we need. Lord, I pray that you would just calm me and enable me, Lord, to focus on you, your word, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak in and through me. I do want to honor you. I want to glorify you tonight and what is said and done. Thank you for the wonderful music that the choir has shared and the special and, Lord, just the congregational singing tonight as we've sought to lift up your name to glorify you in song. Lord, now let us glorify you in the word of God. May we listen on purpose. May we allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. May you, Father, reveal to us areas of need, prick our hearts and bring conviction that ultimately produces the kind of eternal change that brings glory and honor to you. We need you now and we love you. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So what are some of the reasons we fail to obey God immediately? Number one, fear. Fear will keep us from obeying God immediately. Mysophobia. It's the fear of dirt. Hydrophobia, of course, is the fear of water. Niclophobia, niclophobia is the fear of darkness. I hope I'm saying these right. Acrophobia is the fear of high places. Taxophobia is fear of being buried alive. Xenophobia is fear of strangers. Necrophobia is fear of the dead. Claustrophobia is fear of combined, confined places. And here's a good one. Triskidekaphobia is the fear of the number of 13. The number 13. you believe that? I still can't help but remember when... when uh, uh, Charlie Brown is standing at, at Lucy's little stand. And she says, now what are you afraid of? And she starts listing all of these phobias. And finally she says one of them, and I can't remember which one it is. And she says, that's the fear of everything. And he went, that's it. The fear of everything. Now listen, we get a little laugh out of that and it's kind of funny, but the truth is, is even as believers sometimes, we find ourselves fearful of about everything. I'll tell you one thing, we need to be awfully careful what we listen to and what we allow in our hearts. 
I was talking to one of the ladies at the, uh, uh, the, 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 the home where I was today preaching this afternoon, and, and uh, she was talking about, she, was, she, she said, you know, I've been really concerned lately. We've had balloons going over our country, and we've had this and that, and this shot down, that shot down. And I said, you know what the best thing would be? Don't ever listen to that again. I don't know about you, but things like that can get me on edge. They get me a little nervous, and I start, if I'm not careful, to forget who's really in charge. And here she was, well up in years, and she said, you know what I have? I've stopped listening to the news for the most part, but sometimes, man, you can't help but hear things. And there's truth to that. But fear paralyzes us. And fear will keep us from obeying the Lord. A man of significant age was rather apprehensive about his first airplane ride. He had never ridden in a plane before, and so his friends, eager to hear how it went, asked if he enjoyed the flight. He said, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be, but I'm going to tell you this. I never did put all my weight down. Never did what? So, so the whole time, he was just kind of hovering over that seat a little bit. Didn't want to put all his weight down for fear that the plane might go down. Fear kept him from resting in his seat. And can I tell you that fear will keep us from resting in the arms of Jesus. Fear will keep us from obeying the Lord immediately. We see this fear factor contributing to the failure of Israel to occupy the promised land. You know, Moses had sent those spies into the land and in order to recon the area, in order to prepare for an attack. But when those spies returned, they came back not just with a report, they came back with an opinion. And they began to share what they saw. And at first it sounded pretty good. But before long, they were talking about those giants in the land. They were telling everybody about how difficult it might be to subdue the land. Instead of occupying, we ought to probably remain behind and just live here for a while. We don't have the troops necessary. We don't have the, the kind of weapons that will enable us to defeat such overwhelming odds. We are not prepared for that kind of warfare. So let's just remain here. Their fear kept them from obeying God. In Numbers 14, verse 8, turn there, would you please? Numbers chapter 14, verse 8. We're going to read... what the faithful had to say about it. Numbers 14, verse 8. <clears throat> if the Lord delight in us. You know, I want you to think about that for a minute. Numbers chapter 14, verse 8. If the Lord delight in us. Think about where Israel had come from. Remember, it wasn't that awfully long ago that they found themselves in Egypt. It wasn't that long ago they were just simply slaves in a foreign land. God had supernaturally delivered this people. And now this 
One says, if the Lord delight in us, I have to believe that he has delighted. I can only remember still at the, at the Red Sea and how the, the enemy was literally taken out. Obviously, God was in their corner, and he delighted in them at that point. Then, he says, he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Verse 9, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. In this particular case, this, this spy stands up and says, hey, wait a second. If God's on our side, if in a sense he has any delight in us, he's already called us to this land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. My, oh, my. Just don't rebel against the Lord. Don't disobey God. Don't fear those people. Fear was going to keep them from obeying God. And how many times has fear kept us from obeying God? How many times has a young man or an older man been called to the ministry and for fear of the future and fear of what lie ahead, they fail to obey God? How many times have we been told to, to pass out a track or to share the gospel with some needy soul and yet we find ourselves so fearful that we are paralyzed and unable to obey the Lord? Well, we know how this situation ended for them. They'd wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And when it came time to enter the land again, Joshua, the great leader who would ultimately take over after Moses has gone before onto heaven, he would admonish the people to be strong and of a good courage. Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage, be not afraid. Why would he say that? Because that's what kept the last generation from taking their place in the promised land, from occupying the place that God had promised. Fear had kept them in their place. Fear had not permitted them to move forward. And he says, you need to be strong and of good courage and fear not. If there's one thing that's going to keep Christianity from impacting the world in which we live as God would intend it to do, it will be fear. The Apostle Paul addresses the origin of fear. He tells us that fear is not from God. God provides us with power, love, and a sound mind. Satan, on the other hand, is a fear monger. Fear is a powerful tool, a tool that is used to control the masses. We see evidence of this with COVID, and we saw it again, we'll see it again in the tribulation period, as men and women will receive the mark of the beast. Why? For fear of dying, for fear of not receiving food, for fear of not being able to provide for their families. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. One of the most gifted speakers in church history was a fellow by the name of John Christensen. The name comes from a Greek word meaning golden-tongued. John was sent from Antioch to what was then Constantinople, where he preached fearlessly in the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. He 
denounced the lavish, extravagant lifestyle of the rich and ruling class, and he condemned them for their excess. He made many, many people very, very angry, including Empress Eudoxia, who arranged for him to be exiled. When he was told of his fate, Christensen, he responded by saying, What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth and all its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes, and I smile at all its good things. Poverty, I do not fear. Riches, I do not sigh for. Death, I do not shrink from. Wow. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I'm not so convinced I could say that or have that spirit and attitude. I certainly couldn't do it without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I definitely need the grace of God of which I'm sure he had. But again, too often we are afraid. We're prone to a fear of failing. How many times have we chosen to step aside and let someone else do it for fear that we would look bad doing it? I mean, even a young person in the school system or they're they're training or learning their lessons and they're afraid to give it their very best. Why? For fear of failing. If I do my best and fail, then I'll feel like a a dunkoff you got to watch Hogan's Heroes to understand what that is. That's German. <laughs> fear of failing. A man may not take the job that he, he probably should take for fear that he will not be able to perform that job properly. He feels much more safe and secure where he is at instead of taking the advancement for fear that he will fail. There's so many reasons why we fear failing. We don't have time to go into all of that, but the fact is is that many times we fear failing. Not only that, but we fear what lies ahead. Again, we're afraid of what will happen or what might happen or what could happen. Nobody in the room's ever been afraid of those things. We get, all I have to do is say this. Your doctor calls you and says, you need to have a test on this. And you go, uh-oh. And your mind immediately goes to something that probably isn't that good. You may have no reason to fear it at all. You may, it may be totally irrational. But it's how we are as human beings, and the devil knows what buttons to push in our life. Keep them afraid, and I'll paralyze them. They'll be useless in God's hand. Fear of failing, fear of what lie ahead, fear of their faces. We know he tells Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Why? Because I'm with you. I'll put my words in your mouth. I'll enable you to speak. I'll tell you what to say. Trust me. Don't rely on yourself. You're not alone. Fear. Fear will keep us from obeying the Lord immediately. Not only that, but number two, the flesh. 
The flesh will keep us from obeying the Lord immediately. <clears throat> I read this somewhere, and I'm just going to read it. It says, quote, The flesh is a built-in law of failure, making it impossible for the natural man to please or serve God. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall, which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God and his righteousness. The flesh can never be reformed or improved. The only hope for escape from the law of the flesh is its total execution and replacement by a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, please. Again, as you turn there, you, you arrive there, you begin to scan the, the, the verses and you go, oh, I know these verses. Yeah, I know you do. It's good, though. It's good to be re-familiarized with things. But notice what it says in 1 John 2, verse 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's a pretty bleak picture of the world we live in. That's pretty bleak. Now you and I as believers, we can find a lot of wonderful things about the world we live in and the things that we have available and what God permits us to enjoy here. No doubt about that. But when we look at it purely from a spiritual perspective, he's very clear. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The fact is, is when we subject, when, when, when subject, I should say, to the flesh, we become unwilling to let go of our demands our desires, our dreams. Our ambition kind of gets in the way. Our lust for fellowship, fame, and fortune drown out the passionate plea of Christ to follow Him without question. Purity, separation, consecration, sanctification, and service to God take a backseat to our own will, way, and work. There is no room for obedience to Christ because we are obeying our flesh and fulfilling our desires. You know, the book of Judges comes to a very, it comes to a close. And when it comes to a close, there's an, kind of a very interesting statement. Here's the statement. Judges 21:25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you know what's happening when every man's doing right in his own eyes? He's obeying the flesh. That's all there is to it. This isn't the first time that it's had to be mentioned in the Word of God. It won't be the last time. It's not the, the, the first time we see a generation that obeys the flesh. It's been going on ever since mankind has been subject to the fall. When we surrender to the flesh... We literally dethrone God and take his rightful place on the throne of our lives. We force God out of that seat and we take our place in it. 
It's time for you to get up, God, and move on. I'm taking the throne over. I determine what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think, what I want, what I don't want. I'll determine what is right and wrong in my life. Someone says, that's never been that drastic in my life. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that drastic. All that matters is who's on the throne. Who's really making the decisions? Who's really identifying, guide, uh, establishing the guidelines? Who's setting the standard in your life? All I know is, is when I set the standard for myself, it's usually lower than God's standard for me. You know, God, everybody has their vice. You know, Lord, everybody struggles with sin. You know, Lord, you made me this way. Huh? Seriously? Okay. It's funny that when we allow the flesh to rule us, we always come up with good excuses why it's not that bad. Look if you would in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Boy, once we allow the flesh to control, once we put ourselves on that throne, obedience is impossible. At least obedience that pleases God. There may be token acts of obedience. We may follow through with certain things, you know. I mean, do, do certain, we'll go to church still maybe. We might even read our Bible and pray. But if we're on the throne, we find ways to do what we want to do. Watch this in Galatians 5.16. That flesh will keep us from obeying immediately. He says in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, it's, it's almost as if momentum of walking in the Spirit carries us over the waves of the flesh to me. It seems that way to me a little bit. I'm looking at the passage. and So walking in the Spirit is the answer for overcoming fleshly behavior. That's what I think the passage is trying to express. Now, here's my observation. Here's what I've seen in my own life, and maybe even, in, and, and you've seen it in yours. We most often disregard the order that's outlined in this passage. We disregard the order. You say, what do you mean? Well, we're quick to try and change our behavior or overcome our lust through sheer willpower. I got to quit this. I need to stop that. I know this is wrong. I'm convicted with this. I'm going to stop. I've got to stop. I've got to, I've got to crucify the flesh. And you know what? Crucifying the flesh is a great thing. But we start at the wrong place. We start at the wrong end. We start with trying to overcome the action, the sin itself. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? It's out of order here. According to the passage, it's not where we start. It's not sheer willpower that will enable us to overcome. It won't be a disciplined life that will get us over the hump of, of, of lust and, 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 and the flesh. That's not what's going to get, that, get us over that. According to the passage, we fail miserably most often because we fail to keep things in order. We must first walk in the Spirit, then we're able to overcome the lust of the flesh. We don't go to God that way most often. We usually go to God and go, God, help me to stop doing this. 
Oh, God, help me to stop doing this. And God, help me to get victory over this. And you know what? That's fine. But hold on a second. He's already given us victory. We have to reckon ourselves to be dead also unto sin, already unto sin, according to Romans chapter 6. The real key is to be filled with the Spirit. And if we are filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we're trying to do too much on our own. No, I'm not. I'm doing it for Jesus. Yeah, but you're doing it on your own. I'm doing it on my own too often. I know that doesn't belong in my life, Lord. I gotta quit. I gotta quit. I know I need to stop. I know I should go here or do that, but Lord, I'm struggling. I know I shouldn't drink that or, or say those things or do this or do that. Wait a second. You need to focus on what he focuses on first. He says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you walk in the spirit? You're not going to do that without asking to walk in it, without being filled first. And you know how you get it? By asking. He tells us to ask him. He says, if my heavenly father, he said, who's, who's going to go to their daddy and, and ask for a, a, a loaf of bread and he's going to give them a serpent? He says, so you know what you do? You go and ask for the filling of the Holy Ghost in your life. You got to make that a priority. And guess what? Purity is something we have to work at. We have to tell, we have to truly focus on the purity and holiness of God. And we've got to make up our mind. I want to walk in the Spirit. God, that's what I want more than anything else in this life. And as we begin to make that our goal and that our purpose and that our greatest desire, I promise you, you'll find yourself starting to cast off the deeds of the flesh. Well, how do I get that desire? Saturate yourself with the Word of God and the power of the presence of God. Get in His presence, yes. You're not perfect and you're a sinner just like I am. And the fact is, is that God knows it. I understand that. But you got to get in His presence and so do I. we got to get to the place where we love Him and His holiness more than we love us and our sin. And so instead of always trying to do the right thing and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we go, God, I can't do the right thing. God, I cannot quit doing those things. I'll never be able to overcome that flesh in my life until I'm walking in the Spirit. And Lord, I've got to be filled with your Holy Ghost and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Lord, do a miracle in my life that I may overcome and have victory over my flesh. We've taken this flesh and we've turned it into a process. Here's how you get rid of those things. One, two, three, four, five. He says, walk in the Spirit. That's the answer. Walk in the Spirit. And I, I, don't, I don't know even how to explain it any more than that, but you know, do I have it figured out? Man, I'm struggling. I want to walk in the Spirit, don't you? I want God to control my life. And it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's so on one hand, you say, well, I want that, but then I also want the flesh. Because that's really the battle that we fight every day, right? But when that flesh is ruling in our life, we will not obey immediately. We, we just can't. We, we won't do it. So the victory we hope to experience isn't found in our own effort or our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The enabling of the Spirit provides us with the ability to overcome. Yes, then there is that element. We must crucify flesh. But we'll never be able to do that in our own strength. We have to come to the conclusion that we are helpless without His Holy Spirit power in our life.
totally helpless. We need to spend enough time before the throne of God and in the presence of a holy God that pretty soon that starts to rub off on us. We spend so much time in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, there is no wonder that we struggle to obey the Lord immediately. We've got to desire and long for that holiness and righteousness that cometh from Christ and Christ alone. His presence in our life, His power in our life, His indwelling. Let's give Him rule and reign in our life. The flesh will remind us how much we're going to miss out on if we obey God. Do you realize what you're going to miss out on? Young people, don't you realize how much you're going to miss out on if you obey God immediately? If you do what God tells you, just think about all the things you're going to miss out on in this life. Look around you. You see it. If you get on YouTube or you get on Twitter or whatever it is you guys get on, and you see all the fun everybody else is having, you miss out on all that mess. Don't you realize how much you're missing out on being a Christian trying to live for God? That's the lie of the devil. That's exactly what he's telling them. By the way, as long as they feel that way, they won't obey immediately. The truth is, we won't either. Think about what you're missing out on. Some of the singles, you know, all they want is a relationship with somebody. That's all they want. They want a friend. They want somebody, a relationship. Now, if I try to live the Christian life and I'm living righteous and holy, I'll never find any really good friends. I'll never be able to hang out with anybody because everybody's so ungodly. And here I am trying to live like the Lord. And this is no way. This is a waste of time. And there's no guys in here anyway. There's no girls around here anyway worth marrying. And so, you know what? This is a waste. I'm going to miss out on everything living for God. I can't obey the Lord right now in this area. I've got to compromise a little bit over here. I need some love and I need some joy and I need some happiness. I deserve it. The flesh gets involved, and guess what you don't do? You don't obey immediately. Not only will the flesh remind us of how much we're going to miss out on if we obey, if we obey God, but the flesh reminds us of how uncomfortable it can be to obey God. It's uncomfortable to obey the Lord sometimes. You mean i got to get up and go to church every week? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Then they want me there on, on Saturday, soul winning too, to learn how to win people to Christ and then to go out and knock on doors. Man, do you realize how uncomfortable that is? And then they turn around and ask me to be in a choir or teach in a Sunday school class or maybe work on a bus route, maybe uh, sing some specials along the way. And then they've got this thing called the big production. And now I find myself every Saturday and every Monday night and every Thursday night up here at the church. Don't they realize how uncomfortable it is to obey the Lord immediately? And the devil's telling us that all the time. He's going to steal your family. He's going to steal your time. You're, you need time to yourself, you know. You deserve it. Okay. Nobody's ever enjoyed serving the Lord. It's never been fun. It's always work. It's always effort. It's always just pure burden. Never blessing. But that's how the devil will present it. Man, look at all that comfort. It's going to be so uncomfortable serving him, doing what he asks you to do. The flesh will remind us of how lonely it can be to obey God. You'll be on your own. You think it's bad now. Wait till you really start living for God. You really separate from the world. Then your friends want nothing to do with you. 
you'll be on your own for sure. You probably won't be with a, you'll never find a guy or a girl ever because there's nobody else like that in the world but you. It's going to be terrible. You're going to be lo- more lonely than ever. Okay. You, see, that's what the flesh does. That's what the flesh does. We say, that's a devil. No, it's not really. It doesn't have to be a devil. We talk ourselves out of it. And we got that old flesh hanging on our shoulders all the time, and, and we find ourselves obeying the flesh more than the spirit. I just want to encourage you. I tell you what, there's nothing better in this life than an obedient life in Christ. I I know, listen, and again, I I know across the room you hear some amens and everybody goes, yeah, there we go, let's say it. Amen together because, boy, there's nothing better. At least that's what I'm supposed to believe. And so while I'm there, I'm going to go ahead and amen it. But if we're not careful down deep, that old flesh has dethroned God a little bit. And said, come on now, come on. You got to keep up appearances so you say a loud amen. But you know better. We're going to close, but how real are you today? Tonight, how real are you? Do you love Jesus? I love Jesus. Do you? You know what? I love my wife. Can I tell you that loving my wife has put me on a lifelong pursuit to provide for her, to protect her, to care for her? It means I have to sacrifice some of my own things in my own life. I have to do things sometimes that I probably wouldn't do if I wasn't married. Let me tell you something. It costs something to love somebody. And today we live in a Christian realism today that says, oh, no, it's not. You don't have to change your life to love Jesus. You can love Jesus the way you choose to love Jesus. Well, tell that to your wife next time. Tell that to your husband or tell that to your children. I'll love you the way I want to. And if you don't like it, lump it. And they'll say, no, the only one with lumps is going to be you. Because you know what? It costs something. Are you real? I mean, when the chips are down and things seem to be going against you, when things aren't turning out the way you had planned and, and the way you had, had prepared, are you still in God's corner? You're still saying, God, hey, listen, it's all right with me. I don't understand it, and I don't necessarily even, can I say I agree with it? I just know that, Lord, I'm suffering right now. I need you, I need you, I need you, but I love you. Are you real? We obey immediately. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we have in your word. And Lord, again, just these couple simple little thoughts tonight. But Lord, um, boy, it's so easy to allow the flesh to affect our decision making. it's, It's really, really, really easy to allow fear to keep us from obeying you. And Lord, our fear and our flesh can truly wreck our even our own willingness and our own desires at times we find that lord 
obeying you immediately can be really tricky sometimes. Lord, I wish it was easy all the time. But Lord, it's a battle at times. And I pray you'd help the people of God, help myself even, Lord, I desperately need you. May we truly long to be filled with your spirit. May we cry out to you, asking you to fill us with your Holy Ghost every day, every moment of every day. Lord, may we just allow you to have control of us. Father, we don't want the flesh to rule us. We want to be able to say yes to you whenever you call, just like the Apostle Paul did. We love you. We need you now tonight. Speak to our hearts and work in our lives. And Lord, if there be any without Christ, may they settle that tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.